You are listening to the Living Truth Podcast with John Corr and C.L. Mitchell. Please stay tuned to Living Truth as we engage in an in-depth journey of discovery through the discussion of God's Word for the purpose of devotion and godly living. We pray that you would be blessed through today's conversation and that God would sanctify your heart in truth, for His Word is truth. Good afternoon, this is John Corr and the Reverend C.L. Mitchell coming to you from Phoenix, Arizona. This is the Living Truth Podcast, and in case you are new to us, we are two friends that love to get together to talk about the Bible and Jesus and God and life, and we have a good time doing it. And uh, we often go through books of the Bible, and in fact, today is a very, very special day. Today, (laughs) drumroll please, we are actually finishing up the book of Jonah. Yeah! (laughs) Can you believe it? This is going to be our 20th, 20th recording on the book of Jonah. Jonah is like like a teeny tiny book. (laughs) Now, I would have been done with this book a long time ago, but some people like to (laughs) stop and smell the roses. No, we've had a good time. We have. have. We've been blessed, and we pray that you have been blessed. In fact, um, we are recording this both for a podcast and also for YouTube. We are somewhat new to YouTube, so we are saying hello. Hello. We pray that you're being blessed. We know, <clears throat> you know something, people all over the world are, are listening, which is crazy because we're two friends Somewhere. in Phoenix sitting in, in a room in my house to record, and, and people in Germany and other places, you know, Canada and wherever else, well, have you been listening in the room to be clear. You we dialed in the room. Hey, out of a studio. So. Yeah, this is now yeah, a home not, studio. Yeah. Anyway, if you have never listened to us, what we like to imagine is that we are having a conversation and you're listening in on our conversation. And that's <clears throat> that's actually how we got started. That is true. We, are, Starbucks. we used to meet at Starbucks. True. And then people listening in. At Starbucks, we're like, hey, we're blessed by that. And then that one thing led to another, and that's a whole other story. But we're here, and so um, listen in to us. Um, grab your coffee, grab your Bible, and uh, you know, we pray that you'll be blessed. And uh, anyway, we are going to finish up the book. <laughs> you know, John, We are going to finish the book. <laughs> you know, sometime we ought to just have a, hot, a, a, a podcast and talk about the providence of God and how he did all of that. We should. Yeah, because yeah. because it's something that we often allude to. We allude to it. We never directly address it. And there was a lot that God did that along was... the way. I mean, you remember the English producer. Yeah, we had a we had a yeah. guy who used to go to your church. He was a, yeah. a producer. He heard about us. We recorded at <clears> his <throat> house. And then later on, he used to work for a, a large internet radio station here in yes. town. And he had actually... Uh, done some documentaries, films yeah. that had become quite famous. Yeah, and uh, it, it's amazing. We have to. I know that was a God thing. That was it a God really thing. Was. Yeah, uh, yeah. So, and then this is a God thing. It absolutely finishing is. what we started. <laughs> I didn't see that. You can't. That was good. <laughs> we are actually going to finish this book, Lord willing. Um, which Lord willing, that's Lord, my line. That's your that's your line. That's basically the non-committal line. I'll be there, Lord willing. I'm so sorry, the Lord, for has prevented me from coming over. Anyway, as you can tell, we have fun. Uh, you know, God invented or created joy and laughter, and we pray that you are blessed. 
Anyway, so Jonah, okay, Jonah, he's a prophet of God. God calls him to go and to deliver a message to the people of Nineveh. Nineveh was in a place, uh, Assyria, the, the Assyrians um, were enemies of, of Israel and <clears throat> And God tells Jonah, hey, go tell the Ninevites uh, they need to repent, right? Yes. And, of course, Jonah goes the opposite way. He runs complete opposite direction, takes a boat to on his way to a place called Tarshish, which may be as far as way of, as Spain. And God sends a storm and a fish, a great fish, not a whale, but a fish, it says, swallows him up takes him back to land and spits him out. And Jonah goes into town and he delivers a message. Hey, you guys got to repent or else, right? And they repented. Yes. And Jonah, of course, he's gone through this whole cycle of being happy, not happy. You know, he's he's upset about the Ninevites response and he's mad at God. He's mad at Ninevites. And so, we're gonna. I'm actually gonna start with verse one of chapter four. Our goal, our focus, is verses nine through eleven. You got that? <laughs> nine through eleven. Okay. Because <laughs> I have recording from last time where I know we ended at verse eight. <laughs> I prove it. All right. Verse one of chapter four, just to get a running start. <laughs> Actually, I'll give you a little bit more. <laughs> Verse 10 of chapter 3. When God saw their deeds that they returned or that they turned from their wicked way, <clears throat> then God relented concerning the calamity which he had declared he would bring upon them and he did not do it. In other words, they repented and God said, "Okay. I'll relent on this." But it greatly displeased Jonah and he became angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, "Please, Lord, was not this what I said while I was in my own, still in my own country? Therefore, in order to forestall this, I fled to Tarshish. In other words, Jonah says, I knew you would let them off the hook. That's why I ran away to try to, d- to delay this. That's why I fled away to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God. Thank you, Lord. Mm-hmm. Slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness and one who relents concerning calamity. Therefore, now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for death is better to me than life. And the Lord said, do you have good reason to be angry? He's actually going to ask this question twice. Do you have have good reason to be angry? Jonah went out from the city and sat east of it, and there he made a shelter for himself and sat under it under it in the shade until he could see what would happen to the city. In other words, Jonah is waiting to see if God will change his mind. You know, he's hoping that God will change his mind and say, oh, okay, I'll destroy the Ninevites. But, of course, God doesn't. And so, um, verse 6, So the Lord God appointed a plant, and it grew up over Jonah to be shade over his head to deliver him from his discomfort. And Jonah was extremely happy about the plant. The only time in this book it talks about him being happy. Interesting. Mm. But God appointed a worm when dawn came the next day and it attacked the plant and it withered. When the sun came up, God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on Jonah's head so that he became faint and begged with all his soul to die, saying, death is better to me than life. Now verse 9. Then God said to Jonah, 
do you have good reason to be angry about the plant? And he said, I have good reason to be angry, even to death. Then the Lord said, you had compassion on the plant for which you did not work and which you did not cause to grow, which came up overnight and perished overnight. Should I not have compassion on Nineveh, the great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know the difference between their right hand and left hand, as well as many animals? And that's the book. It ends with a question. It, it ends with this question by God to this pouting prophet who's upset because God has spared the Ninevites, <clears throat> which you're wondering, God, why did you choose such a guy like Jonah to to deliver your message and to you know, to to be a part of this. You know, you could have chosen anyone else. I mean, this guy's going the opposite direction. He doesn't want anything to do with God's message to to his enemies. And yet God is still persistent with Jonah. So let's let's talk about it. Yeah. I, I think um I want to mention first a couple of things, John. <clears throat> um number one, when we're looking at this book <clears throat> One of the issues that we wrestle with in textual criticism is... Textual uh, criticism. When we're talking about textual criticism... Let's define that for our listeners in case... We're we're looking at um, the linguistic content of a book. Um, We're looking at the content of the book overall. Um, There's also its sister, historical criticism, right? Right. And, And we're asking... Is this what was in the original text? Right, and that's the that's the goal of textual criticism is to find out what actually was should in be in there, what's text in there, yeah, versus just manuscript copies and things of right. that nature. One of the things that textual critics have have struggled with is sometimes um, um, an extended ending that seeks to smooth things out. Right. Versus an abrupt ending right. that just cuts things off. Right. And and sometimes we can catch scribal additions by their attempts to smooth things out right. when actually they end in a very abrupt way. Right. Um, this book ends in a very abrupt way. Right. Um, and, and I think if we were to try and add anything to that, we would be doing damage to the way that it ends yeah. because whilst such endings are uncomfortable for us, they are tools, literary tools in the hands of the author. Yeah. And they are tools in the hands of God whereby the message is conveyed, dare I say, with a sharper point. Yeah, it's almost as if God is looking at Jonah, but he's looking and he's looking past Jonah to the rest of us. You know, first, you know, first the Israelites as they're being um, spoken to through uh, as the first audience, but then indirectly through us, you know, uh, about Jonah's own heart attitude there. And that, I think that's a good point, the fact that we can trust the book as it's written because it doesn't smooth out those, you know, because you would think rough it's edges. You know, rough edges. The scribes, you know, if somebody were to add an ending, it would add some sort of, uh, episode about re, you know Jonah coming to his senses to realize he's you know in the wrong and he's repented and yes you know he's, his life has changed. Uh, we don't have that in the text. No, we don't. No. I think a second thing that I'd like to mention is one of the things that lend to the veracity of Scripture and the inspiration of Scripture is 
God doesn't always clean his characters up. No, that's a that's significant because if 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 man's going to write, you know, if you're going to write a story about yourself, I mean, let's just say Jonah did write the story about himself. (laughs) (laughs) He's not looking very very good, you know. I no, he's not looking very good. He's not the hero of the story. Yeah, and and so I think that um, that becomes a message in and of itself. Um, God, since Genesis three, outside of Jesus, has never used a perfect person. Mm-hmm. And and you look at this book again. We've mentioned this before, but most successful missionary of the First Testament, and yet the book ends in such a way where where the complexities of the man really show through. And dare I say, the complexities of the nation of Israel really show through. Can, can I bring this to an application? Absolutely. So, you know, Jonah, of course, is very mm-hmm. imperfect. You know, And it's easy to stand and look mm-hmm. from outside perspective and say, wow, what a, what a turkey. <laughs> How could God <laughs> use something like that, you know? But, you know, this idea of of you have to become perfect before God can use you. Mm. That's what kept me out of ministry. Oh my. You know, um, I, I used to think that until, unless I was as close to perfection as possible, which is impossible, that I wasn't even qualified for ministry. That's what, you know, this, this is my own life. I'm, I'm looking at Jonah realizing God can use anyone and he wants to use anyone. Right. That's right. But this mentality of unless you've you've <clears throat> climbed the ladder of of perfection, then you're not qualified keeps a lot of people like I was kept out of ministry because I felt you better be really close to Jesus and your perfection before you can represent him and it's like I think Jonah is a is a demonstration of God's mercy and 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 the people of Nineveh and what God taught me in my own life was that I was to be a demonstration, not of perfection in a sense, because I could never attain that. No, none of it. Only Jesus Christ right, is perfect, right. right? Absolutely. But I could be a demonstration of His grace that you can, that God exactly. would be willing to use an imperfect person. But that tripped me up for a long time, mm-hmm. and I, I, when you just said that, just reminded me of those long periods of time where I just like I, I'm not even worthy because I'm not perfect, but only Christ is perfect. You know, and praise God that. Anyway, it's the mercy and grace of God that uh, he would choose imperfect people. Absolutely. And we're all in the same boat. Anyway. I, um, the third thing. I, back I, to the textual side of things. <laughs> <laughs> the, th- the, the, the third thing I think I want to mention is an intertextuality, a comparison slash contrast. Now, where's my dictionary? Intertextual. <laughs> <laughs> Let's define that for our listeners because I know Within what Within the framework of the canon. The, the Bible, Yeah. Yeah. What you're looking at is you're noticing similarities right. or large contrasts. And right. sometimes an author will allude to something within the language right. or within phraseology or thematically that is intended to compare what is going on in the immediate text with what is going on within the larger canonical framework of right. Scripture itself. Yeah. In this case, going backward to the the earlier first testament particularly in the life of a man called elijah elijah very yes great parallels and and it's interesting because when you look at his life 
he's going to go through sadness as well. Yeah. But he's going to go through sadness because even after killing 400 plus prophets, prophets of, of yeah. Baal, yeah. Um, Israel's heart is not thoroughly converted. Right. And so he's he's sad because he says, I'm the only one remaining, which God corrects. Right. You're not. I have 7,000 others who have not bowed their knee to Baal. Right. So he's downhearted because he's not seemingly successful. Right. He seems, yeah. With God's people. Jonah is downhearted. Because he is successful. Because he is successful. Because he doesn't. Whereas Elijah, Eliyahu, wanted the people to turn. Yeah. Jonah doesn't want them to turn. Here's what's interesting. This points out another... And maybe this is obviously an object lesson for for Jonah and for the people. You have to care about people, mm. right? Mm. I mean, I, I'm firsthand. You know, some of us are people, people, and we're, some people are, are we're project people, right? And either way, God says, "I'm going to choose you, your project person, to be in ministry because I'm going to help you learn how to love people, right?" And mm-hmm. at the end of the day, it's about you know, you know about caring for people. Jonah, of course, you get the sense he doesn't really care about people. He cares about himself. And I think God is trying to teach that to to Jonah and indirectly to the children of Israel about, hey, your status as God's people isn't for you to keep, it's for you to share, you know, and to... Yeah. And so um, I think it's just interesting. And the parallel with Elijah is, is uh, you know... Is there too? So anyway, yeah. I think a fourth thing that I want to mention really quick, John. There is in inner satire within the book. Yeah, but here's something that's really interesting. So, so there's also historical kind of satire, right? Um, this book is a book of repentance, right? Right. <clears throat> but it's about the goyim. The nations, right? Septuagint Greek, the ethnos, right. right? Which are going to, with particularity, be the Assyrians or the Ninevites, right? right? Repenting, right? Right. But it's read on the first day of Yom Kippur, yeah, by Jewish individuals, right? In other words, the repentance is so real and authentic. That it even inspired right. God's people and continued to do so throughout the centuries and the millennia. Here's what repentance. Here's what repentance looks like, and taken from a non-Jewish nation. Is, Jesus does. Jesus does the same thing. Mm-hmm. Yes, he, he does. When he teaches about loving your enemies, and he uses a Samaritan as the hero of the story. The Good Samaritan, we call him now, which would have would which would have been breathtaking for the audience, right? Because the Samaritans, Jew, the Jewish people hated Samaritans because Samaritans were sort of half breeds, you know, they call, and they hate each other. And it's, there's a long history before then. But to use a Samaritan as the hero of the story would have been like, no way. This is what Jesus does, you know, teaching, picking the least likely person. That you that 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 a Jewish person would in fact they would go around Samaria <laughs> to go from one end of Israel to the other and they had to go through Samaria a large segment of the country they had to go around it right and Jesus and God teaches us you know the same thing as sometimes the very people you know that we are 
um, against, you know, are the ones who are going to be demonstrative of our, of, of our lesson, you know? So come on. So, so when we're looking at this book, I think it's unique. We, we're past verse eight. Yes, we are past years. But, but verse eight really does comprise um, the last major miracle in this book. Yeah. So let me just just to rephrase again: is Jonah gets he he delivers the message. He goes to east of the city. He sits on the on the hilltop. Maybe grabs a bo- bag of popcorn because he's waiting for the show to start. He's waiting for God to change his mind and for the fireworks to go on and destroy the city. God doesn't do that. Um, it's you know it's really hot and God, God appoints a plant to grow and give him shade. Fantastic, you know. But the sh- but the plant dies the next day because a worm comes and kills it. And his east wind comes, and uh, he is begging to die. He'd rather die than anything else. In fact, he says, death is better to me than life, you know. I I think it's interesting to me, John, because if I recall correctly, the first miracle that you have is the storm, right? Yes. Then you have the great fish that swallows Jonah. Yes. Then you have the great fish uh, that spits him up. Then you have the plant for shade. The, wait, how about the miracle of just the people repenting? Yeah. Okay, but we'll we're talking... that one. Yeah. yeah. The plant for shade, and we have the worm that eats the plant, and we have the scorching wind, right? Right. All of these miracles, has it dawned on you that they're all pointed at this prophet? Right. Right. Like, loudspeakers. So, so... Can you get my attention, Jonah, Jonah? So, so here's what shocks me. Um... He sees all of this miraculous power, and he still doesn't have a change of heart. You could be doing work for God and not yet not hear God. You know, that's so it reminds me, this is completely away from this text. Yeah. In Luke 16, right, when you have the rich man and Lazarus. Yeah. And the, the, the rich man absolutely knows what it will take to go back and bring conversion to his brothers. Right. And, and, and Abraham says, Father Abraham says, <clears throat> if they won't hear Moses right. and the prophets, they wouldn't believe even though one were sent back from the dead. Right. And so just to look and see that all of these miracles, six major miracles, yeah. and the greatest miracle, as you said, which would make a completion of miracles with the Assyrians having right. a change of heart, right? Yeah. And it still doesn't do anything in the prophet. He he begins the book um, abruptly running from God. Right. And then in chapter 4, verse number 5, God is trying to have a conversation with him. And he has this stubborn fit in verse number 5. Then Jonah went out from the city uh, and sat east of it. And there he made a shelter. It's almost reminiscent of how he ran from God in the right, first place. Right. He just abruptly, in the middle of the discussion, takes off again. Right. And and just kind of and so you you kind of go almost bookends. Right. You all of that you didn't get it. Right. But it, but that tells you then. I think that in alluding back to your to your um, to the Luke account, you know. Mm-hmm. It's not that people don't have enough information. That's well said. It's that people don't want to believe the information that's shown to them. It's not a, a, a it's people don't, you know, it's not a mental capacity or n- not enough text or, or resources or understanding. It's a hard attitude. Here, Jonah, 
Jonah has been swallowed by a fish, and God has spared him his life after three days in that fish, and yet he still is unwilling to to sort of repent himself of yeah. his of his lack of love and lack of you know compassion and everything else. Um, people want more facts, right? They want give us more facts than I'll believe. No, you won't. And and the, and the struggle of the Christian, the intellectual Christian, yeah, is to believe that facts or data are what convert people. No, and that's I'm telling you. I know it's a big you know. Okay, apologetics is great. And necessary. And, and necessary. Biblical. And necessary. But at the end of the day, you can get somebody all the facts in the world. In fact, I used to I used to stress out about, you know, when I used to when I was in college and I used to talk with people and but I I had to figure out all the answers before I would even have the courage to to tell them anything because um because I thought I had to have so much facts, you know, and facts equated belief. Now, this, it doesn't mean that facts aren't part of it and information. Of course, our Absolutely. Christianity is founded on historical facts. Christianity is Absolutely. bedrock solid on historical facts. It's not easy believism. No, it's no. not. There was an actual crucifixion, an actual grave, an actual resurrection, actual eyewitnesses. You know, we Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15. Absolutely. Hey, and that's the foundation. That's why, you know, people go out and research this stuff, and, and they have these questions. So we don't believe in Jesus because it was make-believe and these... No, no, this is a real GPS coordinates for time and place, right? But even if you're shown all that stuff, yeah, it's the heart, the Bible says, that is deceitfully wicked. It's the heart that can be so hardened and so cold that even in face of having God throw all manner of, of signs at your face, if your heart's not converted... You know, those there'll be those those uh, storms and signs won't mean anything, you know. Absolutely. So that's the real heart of the matter, you know. It is. It is it's shocking. It's, we should get into the text. There's so much more. Yes, finally, it's getting the text. <laughs> you, Mister. I'd like to talk about the uh, textual apparatus of uh, of the ancient. It's like, let's just get on to the text. People are like, get on with verse 9 already. Do the Three text. verses. We're already 26 minutes into our recording, <laughs> and we haven't got to the verse. See, I told you, I'm not the reason why we're... <laughs> anyway, verse 9. Jesus. God says... I always say Jesus says... God said to Jonah, do you have good reason to be angry about the plant? In fact, he says right before that... He's so angry, and he says, death would be better for me than life. He is. Mm. That's messed up, because he's upset because this little plant, they gave him shade for a day, is now gone, and he'd rather die now. Really? Yeah. Do you have good reason to be angry about the plant? Yeah, when when I look at verse 9, I immediately have to notice that in the light of verse number four. Yes. First time he asked the question. Yeah. So so in, in verse three, let me just go up there. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for death is better to me than life. The Eternal One said, do you have a good reason to be angry? Yes. No, I was going to say, this just hits me because you weren't saying this while you were in the bottom of the fish. Jonah. He didn't know. He knew that. <laughs> you weren't talking this language while you're in the fish, were you, brother? No, you weren't. Right. 
right. because things didn't go your way. Go on. And then you, you get to verse number eight. When the sun came up, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on Jonah's head so that he became faint and begged with all his soul to die, saying, death is better to me than life. And then God asks him this rhetorical question. Now, there are a few ways to ask a question in Hebrew, as you know. And one anticipates either a, um, you can ask a a question that is rhetorical, and it can anticipate a positive answer or it can anticipate a negative answer. Right. And here, in the raising of the question, it anticipates a negative answer. So the implicit answer within the query is, do you have, and no, you don't. No, you don't. Yeah, but from Jonah's extreme perspective, and and he does have a propensity toward extremism here. He's a little moody. <laughs> He's a little, he is. <laughs> he, he says. He says. Um, do you have a good reason to be angry about the plant? That introduces us into something. God is a master at object lessons. Yeah. What we're seeing here, and of course, you see that, of course, right in the First Testament with books like Isaiah, parables are not new to the transitional testaments, to the Gospels. Jesus, as a rabbi, first of all, this was a common practice that rabbis employed on a regular basis, right? right? The questions. Um, yes, yes. And also parables, illustrations that that brought larger truths into an... uh, an obtainable focus for the hearer, for the listener. Yeah. Object lessons, things of that nature. So this is a very um, um, Jewish thing to do. Right. Uh, This is a very rabbinic thing to do. And of course, uh, Jesus being the master teacher certainly employed these a great deal of time. But what we see in this First Testament text is Yahweh employing, employing an object lesson through the plant. Right. And I think that's pretty interesting. He gets Jonah. Yeah. In other words, he 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 teaches Jonah God's perspective indirectly through the plant and through the wind because Jonah has cared so much about this plant. Because I mean, I mean, facetious, but he's cared about this plant because the plant was benefit, beneficial because to him. it was benefiting him, right? Yeah. As long as the plant was alive and gave him shade, he was happy. But it's interesting. If you look at the way that the text reads, if, if you look at the way that the text reads, um, in, in verse number five, then Jonah went out from the city and sat east of it. Now, this is interesting because we've already covered this, but yeah. his going east is a picture of exile. Yeah, going east uh, yeah. from Genesis 3, when they were cast east of Eden, it, it, yeah. and throughout, you can look at throughout Genesis and other parts of the, the Pentateuch, going east always referred to going out of his presence. Right, and so and so this is a picture of Jonah not necessarily going here in fellowship with God. So right. there's an illusion in the text, right? But there he made a shelter for himself and sat under it, um, uh, it in the shade until he could see what would happen in the city. So the eternal all-powerful appointed a plant and it grew up over Jonah to be a shade over his head. Okay, pause right there. So, so right now, Jonah is under the sun. It's scorching hot. We know what we know what that's like in Phoenix. Um, but God appoints a plant. Yes. 
which means that God God sees Jonah's plight mm-hmm. and is merciful to Jonah and say, "Hey, Jonah, I'll give you some mercy here. I'll mm-hmm. Give you some covering." Yes. And Jonah enjoyed that mercy. Yes. And enjoyed that covering. The, the irony. The irony is not only does he enjoy it, John, but there's a ma- miraculous element to the rising of this plant in the in the the expeditious manner in which it grew up right. in order to be capable of giving him shade. Yeah. But the expeditious nature of its growing yeah. probably speaks to its lesser value as a plant. Perhaps, right? It, it may not have been some some major, well-worthwhile right. plant. Right. So there may have been something um, um, of... of little appreciation or or extraordinary value in it. Yeah. And yet Jonah has great value in it. Right. But you're talk I'm talking about the object lesson now. Right. Because as long as the plant comes out of God's mercy, he enjoys that he enjoys God's mercy. When the plant's destroyed, sort of hinting at sort of judgment and destruction. Right. He doesn't like that. Right. And God says You enjoyed my mercy, but you didn't like my my judgment. Right, right. There's also Jonah, another another. <laughs> put yourself in the shoes of the people in Nineveh. Yeah, there's all sorts of irony and satire here. But one of the things that you also see is Jonah, that plant that was reared up just almost overnight. Right. You put more value in. You put more value on that, right? Than you do on people, right? And by the way, you put value on it to the degree that it serves you, right? That's that's, that's interesting. That's the heart of the matter, dude. Reverend Bishop, <laughs> Doctor Reverend I, I, Bishop. I, I, I think I think that says something to me, John. That says a lot about. Well, think about it. Think about it in, in life. Okay. The the state of, of a human heart is, hey, if it if it benefits me, I like it. If it doesn't benefit me, I don't like it. Yeah. And it's very self serving. As long as it's as long as you're useful to me, I want you. Yeah. As long as you are beneficial to me, I I want you. But as the minute you're not, I don't want you. Some people have gone through that in life. They've gone through people who care about them the same way Jonah has cared about them, haven't they? You know, as long as as long as you're a benefit to me, I want you in my life. And if you're not, then I don't want you in my life. And that's and that is the that's the, that is a heart that is so self centered. It's frightening. It is frightening. And it's what we're very much um, capable. Of I, it's scary when you. But so okay, so let's pause. Let's pause. There's some application here. There's some real significant applications here because think about it. The human heart is this way even today. We're talking Jonah lived a long time ago, but the human heart's the same way, right? As long and we live in a day and age that everything's self-serving. You know, if it serves our needs, we like. If it doesn't serve serve our needs, we don't like it, and and uh, we want a God who serves our needs. Right? Yeah. 
I, you know, and, and by the way, when you point out his selfishness, you, you just brought something to my memory Spit and attention here. Come on out. In, in verse 3, which we're not at. You keep going backwards. Bro. Right. I'm, I'm going, I'm going to. <laughs> but in verse number 3, while he's making this statement to Yahweh, there is a reflexive aspect within the text so that, therefore now, O Eternal One, please take my life from, from me. me. But then listen to the rest. For death is better to me than life. Part of his petition is to God, and part of his petition is to himself. Right. He's so self-centered. Right. It's, it's reflexive. And it's, it's, what it really argues is, I, I, don't want, I don't want to become bothered or embittered at Jonah. But what I want to become is reflective on myself and right. say... This can be alive and well in uh, in a person who's being used by God. Yeah, and the truth is, yes. Yeah, we can go to town on that on just that point right alone. Yeah. How how and how many ministers and church leaders today? And I'm gonna say there's enough that are selfless, but how many are 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 in it for themselves? Yeah. You know, when the crowds come, oh. They get built up, but right. when the crowds leave, they're like, "Woe is me!" And and Jonah, of course, is a reflection of the human heart that can be so selfish and so self-centered. And that's that is why Jesus said, "You have to be born again." That is why Jesus mm. said that there has to be a radical, a radical change of heart, not of doing of actions and religious performances. There has to be something so radical because your heart is so. Uh, diseased of sin, that even all of the best signs and wonders won't change it. There has to be something radical. That's really where it starts. There has to be a change of heart. And you and I can't change our heart on our own. We cannot do it. Jonah is, he is God's prophet. Being He's a successful man of God here, right? Yeah. But his heart is so far away from the heart of God. And he, I, you know, I, I'm challenged by him because I'm like, I know my own selfish tendencies. You know, I, 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 I know the tendencies of wanting things that are of benefit for me for selfish reasons, you know, yes. and wanting to have things done my way for selfish reasons. And, uh, and so I, I sort of resonate with Jonah in, the, in that heart and realize, God, unless you do something radical... You know, there's no way, I mean, I can't, my heart is, is, is needing some significant surgery here, you know? Which said something to me, John. Um, if you look in verse number nine, Ten? Ten? in verse number nine. nine, if you look in verse nine. number nine, then God said to Jonah, do you have a good reason to be angry about the plant? And he said, I have good reason to be angry even to death. And it's if just, I read the text yeah, correctly, John, that's the prophet's last words in the book. Mm. I have good reason to be angry even to death. Wait, hold on. One little plant that, that you got to experience for a couple hours could make you so angry that you'd rather die than than which is a microcosm of a macrocosmic problem within you within us right it it says something to me it says 
The heart is desperately wicked. Above all else, who can know it? It says to me that what God is going to do in this book is not just through the prophet, but in some ways it's in spite of the prophet. It's in spite of the prophet. I think ultimately in this book, it's, it's as I said this before, this book is really more about Jonah as being the object of God's God's really after Jonah's heart more than anything else. Yeah. Right? He's the object. Jonah himself, his own heart, is the object of God's focus in trying to turn his heart to repentance. The Ninevites were easy. They were That's ready. interesting because, again, one cannot miss the period of time here. Right. If I understand this correctly, we're talking about 700s, possibly 800s. Yeah, yeah. And, and what's interesting is prophet's heart is very obstinate, very stubborn. Now, the Assyrians' hearts are, are at this point, they had obstinate hearts, but they had been yeah. made supple by a series of circumstances. And as time goes on, eventually, these are the individuals that God is going to use yeah. to take the 10 tribes right. in 722 BCE into Assyrian captivity yeah. for 2,700 years. Yeah. We're just locating where they are to this yeah. day. Yeah. And and so he really is mirroring the heart of the covenantal people. Yeah. And yet the people who are not in covenant seem to be more responsive. It's just an interesting scenario to me. It's it, you know, like I said, it's easy to look from, from the outside at his but it seems odd. I have good reason to be angry even into the I mean I have Really, Jonah? And that's really? your last word. And that's your that's that's where you're ending with it. And that's you 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 have and of course God's gonna say, You had compassion on the plant, verse ten, for which you did not work and did not cause to grow. In other words, that was all for me, God says. You didn't cause this to grow. I caused that to grow. Uh I worked for that, not you. It came up overnight and it perished overnight. Yes. Yet you had more, more. You felt more compassion, um, more empathy, more, more feelings of you know, mercy and suffering. Pity. You had more, more pity, more sorrow, more, more compassion for that plant. That you didn't have, have any any um, any power bringing it to get, uh, to to uh, to to bring it up. Then God. Then now God in verse eleven he switches. He says. Should I have not also a compassion on people who I've been watching and caring for for years rather than just one day? People that are more important than plants. People, yeah. By the way, people are more important than plants. <laughs> people are more important than animals. People are more important than anything else on planet Earth because of made the image of God. Mm. Jesus Christ died for people. He died for human beings. Yes. Yes. Let's let's not depreciate the value of human beings to the level of plants. Okay. Mm. God is teaching us right here, right now, that people are more important than plants. Because that's very much the common consensus of modern day paganistic earth worshippers. Right. Earth yeah. worshippers who want to yeah. be one with the earth are worshiping a, a created thing that is yes created by God, but God cares more for people in, because people are made in His image and people have eternal souls. In other words, we're going to live. After you die, somewhere, forever and ever, ever, and ever, and ever. And so God is trying to get to the heart of the matter is, listen, I care more for people than anything else. 
and I'll do whatever it takes to show them mercy. I think what you... I feel like preaching now. Where's my organ player? You ought to, <laughs> you, you ought to John, because in verse number 10, it does just, one yes. of the things that he's pointed out, pointing out is the transitory nature of the plant. Yes. But as you suggested, the allusion to people, you can't allude, allude to people in the text without alluding to the nature of people as yeah. image bearers. Yes. And so because of that... This transitory plant, this person who has a qualified eternal existence. Yes. How do you? How do you? Do you? Do you know, CL? This, 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 um, not reminds me, but it makes me more aware of the mercy and compassion of God. That God will do whatever He has to do. He'll pull out all the stops to save people. Mm-hmm. Okay. Some people are just like waiting for God to start judging the world, right? Yes. They're just waiting for God just to do this. And God's like, no, my heart is being compassionate with people and giving them more time, more opportunities to repent, more, you know, awareness of who I am, you know, because I care more for the people than anything, than, than, than a plan. And I care for people who, who I, I have a more vested interest, God says, than you had in this plan. You didn't. Yes. You can cause it to grow. You didn't cause it to do anything. Yes. I was. You enjoyed the mercy of God while the plant was there. Should not these people enjoy my mercy now? Yeah, absolutely. And 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 here's God is so insightful. You're like preaching now, CL. Come on. <laughs> God is so insightful. I think. I think that most um, scholars would consider verses five on the post peak where God is going to bring um, a closure afterward. It doesn't necessarily right. fit in the, far, uh, the, the, the main framework. But it's interesting because listen at what God says, and I just want to point this out. In verse 10, then the Eternal One said, you had hasta. Now, hasta is from the word has or hos, right? And, and, it? and it's a synonym with other words for mercy. Right. Like yes. Racham, right. Right. Rahum, right. right, from Rahum, right? Yes. It's a synonym with other words for mercy, but, but the uniqueness of this particular word for mercy is, and this is so ironic, it's, it's to share the sufferings of others or feel bad for their circumstances. Yes. God says, so let me get this straight. You could feel um, the suffering of the plant, and and feel bad for its circumstances and yours. Oh, poor plant! But you couldn't have a synonym of compassion or mercy. Yeah, for people. Yeah. Now that's an indictment. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I'm not trying to overspeak there or be too emboldened, but no. I think it's important to point out the strength of that word so that you see the the absence of it so it's not that he doesn't have it right it's where it's applied to he does have have ability to have compassion he's just choosing and and, and by the way he takes the liberty that god takes right right because god says this i will have mercy upon whom i will have mercy right so so jonah well i basically he's arguing I can have compassion on whoever I want to, God. 
Okay, back back up for a second. I'm gonna point something out. Okay, the word compassion here. Yeah, it's it's almost means to 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 be in the same. Uh, would you say like the same place of yes, suffering? Empathize, to empathize, right? Yes. So you know, okay, it's like you're sitting where they're sitting. Yes, and you, you can yourself, you can put yourself in their shoes in the place of the plant in the place of the plant. But he's not willing to put himself in the place of the people of Nineveh. Why? Because he doesn't. He thinks he's better than them. Absolutely. He doesn't think he needs to have the same compassion that the, that he doesn't think he's as guilty as they are. Yeah. Hence, New Testament Pharisees all day long. Modern day Pharisees all all day long. Absolutely. Who yes. can look at other people and, and say, "Well, I would never do. How could my kid would never do that?" I could never, you know, and you could put you put yourself up 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 higher. You look at somebody else, and you say, "Well, I, I, you know, because you can never feel like you can take your place along with those people because they're th- those kind of people, right?" Yeah. And your Jonah is revealing the the whole thing. Will keep him away from God is his own pride, yeah. and not being willing to have compassion and say, "I'm just like the Ninevites. I'm just like my own enemies. I think I'm better than them, but I'm not. At deep down, we're the same people." You know, yeah. That's just what. That's really what gets the whole, the whole thing of just the the pride and the blindness of of the human heart. It's shocking. It, it's shocking in me. That's why. That's what I want to confess. And that's why Jesus. That's why Jesus. He says, "Listen, you want to be my followers. You want to be my disciples. Take up a towel." Mm-hmm. He he says, "You want to be a, a leader." A great leader, right? Pick up your towel and start washing feet, right? Humility. He leads the way in humility. Could, when you have a heart like Jonah, you can never follow that because yeah. you don't think you need that. John, there's something that also strikes me about this. You had compassion on the plant for which you did not work in which you did not cause to grow, which came up overnight, literally a son of the night. Right. And it perished um, overnight, right? But when you look at Genesis 1, the language of God is forming man. Right. He has so much work vested in man. Right. So, so, so you're looking at so he much. He gets his inv- hands dirty. You're looking at so much invested here. Yeah. You're asking me to drop my investment. Yeah. The, the Psalter would say, what is man that thou art mindful of him? Right. Surely the Psalter was already written before this time. Right. So he would have been familiar with Psalm 8, which is yeah. the prayerful, poetic form yeah. of a rehearsal of the Genesis 1-2 narrative. Yeah. And, and so where is, the, where is the mindfulness of man in God yeah. that should be present within the prophet? It, it, no, you, you didn't even work for this, and yet, it, for you, it means more to right. you than what God put his... His, his image on and his breath. It's interesting. When you look into the Genesis narrative in Genesis chapters 1 and 2, yeah. um, modern scholarship would argue that what you see in Eden is this temple 
kind of right. scenario. Right. Yeah. And and that the so, man and the woman serve as priests to till and to cultivate the ground right. is the same language that's used right. of the responsibility of the Levitical priests. Right. 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 And and so you kind of see this language yes. there, this allusion to this temple kind of oriented scenario right. in Genesis one two, right? Right. And so you're looking and you're saying these are human beings that were intended to serve God as vice regents, be priests to him right. and to you. Right. They mean nothing. Yeah. Do you, I, I'm, I'm going to switch perspectives here. Okay. Because we're, we are looking at, the, at God to Jonah. Okay. I, I want to think about just for a second here. If I'm the Ninevites overhearing this conversation, <laughs> I am... I am praying still to God, Lord, please don't change your mind. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your compassion. Thank you for addressing this with your prophet. <laughs> thank you that he was faithful, but thank you for still considering the fact that that we were doomed, you know, that there is a mercy, you know, there's there is the Jonah part, there is the part the 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 believer, the Christian, let's say, who can be a Pharisee or the or the the religious person, let's say, who is so proud of themselves and proud of their religion they're proud of what they offer to god I'm proud of... i'm so thankful if i'm an Ninevite, yeah i am thankful for god's mercy because there, there's a contrast between you know the hero of the story ought to have been jonah the hero of the story is really god and the ninevites and they got it and they repented and they're praising god you know they're thanking God for his mercy and his grace and compassion. If I'm over here in the conversation with, jo- with God and Jonah, I'm wondering what a compassion of God, not only to show mercy to me, but to show mercy to a prophet like him, yeah. whose heart is so hearted. Yeah. I'm just wondering about that, because a lot of us have been the ob- objects of God's mercy and grace and compassion. And all of us. All of us. Not all of us realize it. No, that's true. You know? So I'm just I'm thinking. Let's go on. To the, let's go on to the uh, to the last verse. <laughs> so, if I understand of chapter four, <laughs> if I understand the text correctly, the contrast is shocking. You're angry over one plant in comparison to 120,000 persons. Yeah. Talk about having your priorities askewed. Jonah, you care about the one plant, and yeah, I care about these souls. You care about a, a temporary plant live for a day. I care about eternal souls. Look at look at the condition um, of the souls. Yeah, he says, "Should I not have compassion on Nineveh, the great city in which there are more than one hundred twenty thousand persons who do not know the difference between their right and left hand, as well as many animals?" So from God's perspective, although they are a developed people group, yeah. spiritually, they are underdeveloped. They don't know. Yeah. Not even understanding their responsibility to revere God or pay obeisance to him and, and are compared here in the text they are not even necessarily as insightful 
spiritually as well as many animals. Yeah. Now that's a strong statement. These people don't know right from wrong. They're spiritually blinded. He's referring to them as as basically children. Right. And he's highlighting the paganistic aspect right. of their childhood. That that and, and by the way, in the book of Romans, chapter number one, it's this very issue that uh, yeah. raises up, right? Yeah. Where where in paganism there right. is this swelling ignorance, as it were, and right. this illogicality that yeah. believes itself to be logical. Right. Yeah. And and so it's that that God is highlighting, saying they really haven't the foggiest. Right. Which is interesting because God, it's interesting because I was thinking about this, is that God's level of judgment, let's say, I think it corresponds to the level of understanding. In a sense here, think about it this way. Um, the Ninevites don't know the same thing you know, Jonah. You, you have more information, and yet them, even on their little information, respond appropriately. Right. Right. Israel will get a great deal more information and reject it. That's why Jesus says, hey, uh, it'll be greater in the in the day of judgment for Sodom and Gomorrah than for some of the towns that he visited because they saw Jesus and rejected him. Yeah. And Sodom and Gomorrah didn't have that. If they would have seen the miracles that had been done, in they, you, would have repented. they would have repented long ago. So that tells me that God is, I think he is, he is a just and righteous God. And, you know, he understands that these people... You know they don't have they don't have the the revelation knowledge you do to Jonah, and they they responded and now at the same time his it it speaks of his his such his compassion that he's not willing for any to perish. Mm. He's not willing for any to perish. See, some people think that God is up in heaven waiting for for somebody to to smack and to and to and to go like that with right. And I don't think that's that tells me the heart of God here. Yes, does God take sin seriously? Of course he does. Absolutely. He absolutely does. He took it seriously enough that he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross and pay for that sin, right? Um, but this speaks, this the highlight of this whole, this whole book has been on the mercy and compassion of God and long-suffering of God. He's not willing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. And I know that he's deliberately trying to not only give an object lesson here, but make a comparison and a contrast. You're concerned in your compassion. You can identify with. You can be empathetic with. You want me to spare one plant. Yeah. But then God very deliberately uses that very same word concerning himself. And now in the form of a rhetorical question that anticipates a positive answer, should I not have that empathy, that sympathy, that pity, that, that tendency to spare people? Right. He's arguing it from lesser to greater. Absolutely. Yeah. If you have compassion on that plant which served you for a day and you didn't work for, it's not eternal. Should I not have compassion on people that mean so much more than a plant? So much more. I, I think I think there's something I have to to admit here, John. Um God puts compassion and has compassion on and places compassion in the lives of people who in years to come will not always do the best thing with that compassion. Yeah. Should I not have compassion on Nineveh? Now, I get what they had done. You know, building pyramids of human skulls. Sure, sure. And that's bad. Right. Leading people out with hooks in their mouths and jaws and in their nose. Yes, yes. I get the... 
I get the historical cruelty. Right. But in 722 BCE, yeah. they're going to be cruel again. Yeah. It's not my responsibility to try to govern how God places his compassion on people and what their response to it is. Yeah. That's difficult. Yeah. Because sometimes I'm looking and I'm saying, is compassion wasted on that person? That's right. That's God. That's in God's court. By the way, this generation is going to have a, a major change. But by the time you get to Nahum, a hundred years early, Nahum. a hundred years later, yes. they're going to revert back to some practices that are not going to be good, and God's then going to bring some destruction on them. Right. But that's not up for, to me to control and to navigate and to, and, to, and to tell God what to do in anticipation of what they'll do with it or without it. So, so let me ask a practical question we get into. How, because the, the object of God's questioning is Jonah. He's trying to reach Jonah's, he's reasoning with Jonah, trying to reach yes. Jonah to a conclusion that says, you're right, God. And of course, we don't find out what happens with Jonah, but the question is, how does God reach a heart like Jonah? Mm. How do you reach somebody? How do you reach somebody's heart who feels like that they that that they don't need that saving? They don't need mercy, right? Or they they think that they're you know how how do you reach how do you reach a Jonah in this life? Because at the end of the day, God's trying to reach Jonah, and He's trying to reach people like Jonah. Hard-hearted people. Um, yeah. I, selfish people. Here, here's what I know from the Gospel of John. Um, it's the Holy Spirit who convicts and convinces the world of sin and righteousness. Yeah. What I know according to the First Testament is God graciously gives the covenant to a people and makes them a covenantal people. Yeah. I wish that we always looked like the covenant, but we don't. Um, but in that, God will use discipline often to soften the nation's heart. Yeah, and and we hear about Him again in the transitional testament. Yeah, and and God can bring greatness out of the the historical narrative that we're seeing. But in the immediate context, there's some disappointment. Yeah. There's, um, this is to be contrasted to, compared and contrasted. Remember, this is not his first go at ministry. No. He's a successful prophet right. to his own people. Yeah, yeah. But for all practical purposes, as far as we know, this is the way it ends. Yeah. This is not the way ministry is supposed to end. No. It's not supposed to end, um with people wondering if I repented. With people wondering if I was steeped and stuck in bitterness. Yeah. With people wondering, where's my fellowship with Yahweh? With people looking at, here's my last word, and it's very self-righteous. I think we need to take a lesson from the abruptness and say, this is how we read his ending. Right. But this is not how it's supposed to end. Right. What are you going to do with this? And, and, and this is where 
this comes into play, right? Um, I, I talked about, this is not a parable, but I talked about earlier how Jesus and rabbis used parables right. and this abrupt ending. Many times in, in the, the transitional testaments, the gospels, gospels, what you would see is you would see individuals, um, uh, you would see w- them go to the historic present in grammar. Right. So that Jesus would start speaking in the historical tense in the Greek text, right? But then suddenly would switch to the present tense, and it's the author's means of inviting the listener into the... right. I can't help but hear a historical present I, in this narrative. I do. I do. Because it's, I don't know how his ended. But this brings me to this place to say, Lord... I, I, it's almost like God has to... It, and you're right. It, I think that's the, re, that's the whole purpose of this. Not just to find out what happened with Jonah. Yeah. At the end of the day, it's what's going to happen with you. And if you're at the same place as Jonah and God says... What do you have good reason to be angry about the, about the plant? In other words, God's saying, "What, what, what right do you have to be angry about anything? <laughs> Who are you to be angry about anything? As if you've been sinned against, right?" But, but the reasons, when you have them, they certainly look good and feel good, and they make you and, feel and good, justifiable. So get, again, it's all about making not just that, but but avoiding you being the object of God's focus. See, the whole time along, jo- Jonah's been. Oh, the Ninevites need to be saved. The Ninevites need to be saved. And God said, no, Jonah, you need to be saved. You need to be saved. And Jonah doesn't realize that God has been trying to reach him. I'm just wondering for, for you know, we live in a, in a day and age where, where, okay, a lot of people are trying religious things. They're going different directions. Mm. Um, and most people, I'm going to say most people, a lot of people um, don't think that they are in the place of the Ninevites. Yeah. And they don't want to admit that they're in a, they don't want to be at the place of Jonah either. And it's sort of like, well, how, where am I at? You know, and, and am I in the place where I am needing God's mercy and grace, you know? And I, I think there's this, there's this, um, there's this, um, do you even want to admit to you, like, you know, the, the, where your heart is, you know, the hard darkness of your own heart? That's hard to, that's, that's hard to be at. It's hard to be at the place of, of, of inspection, right? Of, mm-hmm. of God shining the light at you, and, and you're like, what was me, right? Yes. What yes. was me? I'm a man of unclean lips, as Isaiah says in Isaiah 6. Um, I need... <laughs> A touch from God. I need a change from God. I thought it was better than them because I was God's spokesman, but actually I'm just like the people I'm preaching to. John, you'll, you'll find this a little bit odd at first statement. But the more I am digging into Scripture in my life, the more I find that the doctrine of sin is crucial to all of the other doctrines of the Bible. But do you know, Seal, what's going on nowadays? This is happening in the church. Sin has become less sinful yeah, and 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 we, we don't want like the way the the Bible talks about doctrine of sin. We'll we'll erase those parts. We'll get rid. Of, we'll lessen the blow of the doctrine of sin. But you're right. It's when when you're less of a sinner, doctrines like predestination or election become easy to dismiss. Why stop le- there? What, right. You continue <laughs> to go. When, when you're when you're less of a sinner, Jesus becoming a savior. Yeah. With an efficacious atoning death. But is he, what's he going to save you for, from? Injustice? Yeah. 
What injustice? You know what's injustice? Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins. An innocent man, that's injustice. Okay? Let's not talk about... But that's the thing that's going on in the church today, is that is that the doctrine of sin... You know what else is going on? Is not only is sin becoming or may, being made less sinful to a holy God, that, God, that means God is becoming less holy yeah. in people's understanding. He's being brought down to our level. Yeah. Can, can, can redefining I, that's what that's what's going on can, in the can church I, today. can i get in trouble you stay safe i'm hey, gonna get in hey, trouble yes you stay safe okay i'll stay safe you know what's interesting john in this in this ancient near eastern text i don't see social justice i see social mercy come on now you don't don't you get in trouble let me yeah. let me do that yeah um because it seems like Jonah had a social justice attitude. Seems like God had a social mercy yes. attitude. Yes. Where he was willing to show compassion when the people repented with a view to the right object, God. Right. Not, not just generalized mercy. Um, but, but, but it's interesting because in Jonah's mind... Justice would have been retribution. Right. Um, Destroy him, God. Destruction. They deserve it. Um, and, and Jonah is acting woke. Yeah. Don't get in trouble. Hey, don't, let me do that. Don't go broke. Let me get, <laughs> let me, let me get in trouble. Don't you do it. And, and I'm looking at this and I'm saying, if, if, I'm, if I'm exegeting the, the passage yes. and exegeting our culture. Yes. I don't know that social justice and wokeism is the way, Jonah. No. I think biblical compassion that seeks to lead through biblical truth to repentance, the yeah. one who sins, and restore them. Here's what I wonder. If, if, if your heart had been right, it's not in the text. Right. Just, it's right. not in the text. Right. If your heart had been right, so they, they were brought to repentance... Could it be that Yahweh could have used you to go in and teach them Torah? Right. And we might have seen something... We could have seen Jonah seminaries. But we'll never know it. Right. Because you were so, in your mind, justice-oriented. Right. But God did not send you on that mission, though. That it wasn't biblical justice. No. That it wasn't biblical mercy. Okay, CL, listen, listen. God's message for the church is preach the gospel, Right. And you want to know what justice is being served? Justice was served on the cross. Mercy was served on the cross. Okay? We preach a message of God's mercy because if, if you want to talk about justice, look at the, you look at yourself in the mirror and say, did God give me justice? Or did he give me mercy? Yeah, and the, and the story is interesting. Right. Because in here, I see this. I listen at, his, listen at his narrative. He's very concerned what happened to me, what happened to me, what happened to me, what happened to my people, what happened to me. You don't think that God is aware of what happened to you and yeah. to your people yeah. as he's sending you to these other individuals? Right. He's absolutely he's, aware. Right. But he realizes that the means and the methodology by which you want it to be handled is not the sovereign, best, providential, merciful manner in which God would handle it, which, by the way, is restorative. And that's so, one of the things that makes this book so CL, beautiful. CL, I'm... Yeah, don't don't you get in trouble. Let me, let me, I don't. Let me write. Jonah represents a lot of pastors nowadays that are going out preaching this kind of thing. It's, 
that and and so the idea is yeah, we deserve to be angry do you do no, you don't do do you do you um how yeah, even to the point of 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 death of riots of really do you do you yeah I can't help if if I'm exegeting the Bible and my culture. Yeah, don't don't you get in trouble? Let me... <laughs> okay. And so, here's here's what I hear God saying. Whether it's 120 Hispanic or Asian American or Caucasian or German or African, these are persons. These are people. If God has a way to appease his anger in Christ, seems like I ought to have a way to get over my anger. It ju- it just seems that way to me. It God. seems and let me just if I'm reading this book. If right. you're reading that book, right. And you're allowing the Holy Spirit to speak to you through the book about your own heart. Because here's what I'm concerned about, and I'm just saying this amongst you and I. I. Yeah. This is not about them. This is for you and I. Yeah. Cuz I'm wondering when I get through with the story of my anger, Will that be my last word on the pages of history? Yeah. People will have remembered me for an angry preacher who was not satisfied with the plan of God, with the work of God, with the word of God, with the way of God. Yeah. Is is that how I want to go down in history? Yeah. Not get, now 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 God can redeem some good things out, right? right. If I go to Matthew, right. I'm gonna see as Jonah was right. three days in the Right. But you know. But is that really is that what how you I want, want to finish? My last word of my book to be. Yeah, I don't know that it is. Let me just because we're, we're yeah. I just want to read a, a very famous text, and then we can finish up. Exodus thirty-four, verse six, yeah, and seven. Then the Lord passed by in front of him, and proclaimed. This is the Lord speaking to Moses, and he's sharing who God is. The Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin. And yet he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished, Visiting the iniquity of fathers on the children and on the grandchildren to the third and fourth generations. When I read that, I hear more of God's compassion, slow to anger, grace, loving kindness, truth, right? Forgiveness. I I want to be known for that part. Where he says, well, he will not leave the guilty unpunished. That's it. Guess what? He'll take care of that. I don't see I don't see a huge emphasis on God's justice here. It's there. It is there. I see God's coming out compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, loving kindness, truth, loving uh forgiveness, right? Yes. If I'm going to weigh heavily on something, I want to weigh heavy on that. I'll let God take care of the justice cuz that's not my place to be. That's God's first Teased out revelation of himself. Yes. In scripture. It's, it sets the pattern for the rest of that which we majorly know about God in the framework of by the way, scripture. By the way, that's holiness too. Yes, it is. And so as you get deeper and deeper into the ways of God, as you began to say before, 
not only are we made more aware of sin and our own sin, we're made more aware of God's holiness and his goodness and how wonderful he is and the, the, the contrast between the two. There ought to be this, this woe is me. There ought to be this thank you, Lord, for being compassionate because I am just like... This humility. This humility. Yeah. Well, this is it. Last, last verse of, the last, of this last chapter... Can we close with some theological truth? Sure, let's do that. We're it's a long recording, but that's okay because yeah. we have the time. And if you people want everything in me to get to verse eleven, I want you to know. That. <laughs> I know you wish the you wish there was an excursus of Jonah, don't you? I, I oh my goodness, do I? I wish you should do a doctoral statement on. <laughs> you know, here's something I have to admit, John. God's people. We're often rebellious, even against him, and our attitudes aren't the best. Yeah. For those who are saying, I can't believe believers are this way. Yeah. Get with it. We've been this Welcome. way, what? This goes back 2,700 plus years. Yeah. And I'm not giving an excuse for that. I'm simply saying, be aware of that in yourself. Yeah. I need to be aware of that in myself, and I need to allow that same grace and mercy for others because the truth of the matter is if we haven't seen that show up in us we probably just haven't run into the right circumstances where it came out something I see that's very ironic in the book sometimes unbelievers can show more compassion than believers can yeah they were exceptionally kind. They can be more Christian than Christian sometimes. No. In, no. A, in a sense of showing kindness. In, in the sense of external works. Right. Which is not necessarily, it, the action is not necessarily a telltale of the condition of one's no. heart right. or soul. Right. But sometimes unbelievers can, can be a bit more compassionate. Yeah. Here, here's what I'm concerned well, about. Unbelievers' compassion, however, does not equal truth. No. But a believer who has truth, that shouldn't equal a lack of compassion. You know, it ought to be it ought to be that when believers when unbelievers come across believers, it ought to be like I want that God that you serve. Who is full of grace and truth. I want that Jesus. I I I will I want to follow the God that you serve because I see the difference in your life. Yeah. Okay. That's really, that's they're not looking for us to, to, to be perfect in a sense of doing everything right. Yeah. But what difference is, uh, is God making in our lives that people would want, but people want Jesus. We follow. Yeah. Another theological yeah. statement. You may want to stay out of this one. Um, oh, um, are we talking? You know, I just want to make, one. Okay. <laughs> What I see here is that God seems to to love all human beings, even the ones that have done us wrong and we're upset with. And he has a program wherein through Jesus Christ and by means of the Spirit, he has set out to save them, to restore them, not to be angry at them, not not to be destructive toward them. 
it, the, if I understand the text, yeah, this is Jonah who's Jewish. These are the Assyrians, the Ninevites, who are Assyrians. Two different ethnicities. Yeah. I think when the gospel really comes alive in us, we realize God's heart to extend it to more people that are not necessarily our ethnic right. same, our cultural same, same God, right? same truths. Different pigments, different different cultures, yeah. different styles. Not paganism. Right. And and not just ritualistic religiosity. But but I think that we need to we need to throw the olive branch out to to more than our circle of comfort. Well we gotta ask the question. Jonah What will it take to appease your anger? Yeah. And if if the death of the Son of God on the cross is not enough? If it's enough for the If Father. it's enough for God, if Christ is dying for, for every ethnicity, every shape, size, people group out, out on planet Earth, if that was enough for God to appease his anger, his righteous and holy anger that he, and he had every right to be displeased not you yeah. right it's enough for a high if it's enough for him transcendent god if it's enough for him when will it be enough for me right restate it why isn't it enough for little old sinful me right that's uh, the that's the bottom line because if god's satisfied with why, why aren't we today yeah I, yeah I also think, John, a theological truth is salvation is sola gratia, by faith, by, by grace alone. Grace alone. Sola fide. Faith alone. By faith alone. In Christ alone. Yeah. That doesn't mean that everybody's going to understand all of the major truths. Here what we see is this society repents. Right. Some of my... Um, Academic contemporaries would say, well, no, it doesn't suggest that they were saved. <laughs> it suggests that they were saved from judgment. It seems to me that they repented yeah. to a person, to a deity. Yeah. And in response to that deity, turned from their ways. Yeah. I wish Jonah had been able to disciple them. Yeah. We never saw that. We, we don't know what happens what, after that. Do you know, Seal, what anger can prevent you from doing? In the sense of that his anger and his, his unforgiveness prevented him from being so much more than what he was. Because he chose to, mm. to hold on to that rather than ex- embracing, hey, these people have repented. Now I can be an influencer of lives for... Such a brilliant point. Because he's the most successful missionary of all of the First Testament. One wonders if he had just yielded to God, what else could he have been? Yeah. I, don't, I don't like it yeah. that, this is my, that this is his last word in the First Testament, that this yeah. is all I see of him. Because the truth of the matter is, you look at this and you say, such potential. Hmm. I, I don't like this closure. Yeah. Um, you just stated it, so I'll, I'll be far more brief on this one. 
in chapter 1, verse 9, and chapter 4, verse 2, I think we can take this as an accurate depiction of the character of God. Yeah. And I think in this book, this is what the character of God, listen, which is so unique, John, and, and this part I will point out. Okay. When the character of God was revealed through the name of God in the First Testament in the text that you wrote, it was at Israel's worst time. Yeah. Right, right. When it's revealed in this book, it's in Nineveh's worst time. Yeah. It seems to me that that's when God is best revealed. Yeah. Not in our perfect hours. When you're at your worst. Pitiful hours. When you're at your worst, God reveals his grace and compassion. And here's something that this book, this little book of... You don't want to finish this book, do you? Because oh, <laughs> for an hour and 24 minutes in our recording. <laughs> Finally. <laughs> Finally. Last point. <laughs> this book says something about God's control over history. Yep. Going backward and forward. God's control over nature. Minor and major details of life. There's not one rogue molecule mm-hmm. that does not bow to his sovereignty. So here's my prayer. I, I take the posture of a modern Jonah, who, whose name means dove, but I'm less than innocent. I hear Jude say, keep yourselves in the love of God. I'd like to be able to do that far better but I realize the sinfulness of my own heart. So how is it that the life of C.L. Mitchell will avoid prayerfully these being my last words or, or my last chapter looking like this or being written like this? Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To the only wise God and our Savior, be glory, be majesty, dominion and power, world without end. Amen. Thank you again for listening to Living Truth with John Core and C.L. Mitchell. If you would like to hear this podcast again or previous episodes, you may do so at passionforhisword.com. That's passionforhisword.com. You may also like us on Facebook at Living Truth Radio Broadcast. That's Living Truth Radio Broadcast. Again, our prayer for you is that God would sanctify you in truth, for His Word is truth.